Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I am so excited for you to meet our guest today, Kim John Payne. He's a New York Times bestselling author of the book Simplicity Parenting. He's also written some other incredible books, and he's the creator of the movement Simplicity Parenting, which maybe you've heard of. And if you haven't, you're in for a real treat. If you have, you're still in for a real treat because Every time I hear Kim speak, I learn new things and am re-inspired um, to show up in a simpler and, I don't know, just a different way. So I'm super excited for you to meet him. And before I describe a little bit more about how I came to know Kim, I want to tell you a little bit about the month of May. So May is my birthday month. I am a Gemini. My birthday is the second to last day of May. But I decided that this year I wanted to celebrate with you. And I also decided that I wanted to celebrate myself and with you now, everything I've learned. I really want to celebrate all that I've learned and celebrate just being a student of life. And it's something that's really important to me right now that I have spent the last 15-ish years really open to learning about so many new things from food to parenting to mothering to decluttering, to money, to how to build a business. And I just feel like it's been the most amazing adventure. I forgot all the amazing spiritual learning things I've done. I just personal growth, just so much learning. And so this month, I really want to focus on this concept of learning. So I will share out so many things that I've learned and also just this concept of how to become a student and how to implement what it is that you learn, which I th- think is where some of us get stuck, how to move forward into it. We, we have, we're in this air, air time of so much information that often we get it and it's almost like we're being firehosed and then we don't necessarily take action in it. And I don't believe that that's very helpful either. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how you could find your teachers. I'm hoping to serve you up some inspirational ones this month. Um, And just what it means to learn and be in conversation um, in this phase of our lives. Um, So this is what that's going to look like. I have four podcasts coming your way, one a week as usual where I get to speak with some of my teachers who've made a really big difference in my life. I also want to open up more conversations over on Instagram. So these podcast episodes will be reflected over on our Instagram account, plansimple.co is how you find that. And I'm hoping to have some meaningful discussion around these episodes and what you've learned and what you're implementing and how we I can support you even in doing what you've learned about from these episodes. And then there's just so many other women and men and amazing people I've learned from in the past 15 years. So I'm just going to be sharing little bits of things I've learned um, about all the different pieces of life over on Instagram to have even further discussions. Plus, I want to talk about how you can find what it is that you're looking to learn right now as well. So we'll have all sorts of those discussions over on Instagram. I am speaking to and referring to a bunch of books during this month because books are, I think, one of the most accessible ways to find teachers. And yes, a teacher can be your teacher through their book. In fact, Kim was my teacher through his book. I didn't meet him until a few years later, um, and he became a very influential person in our household um, long before I ever had the pleasure of meeting him in person. So books can be teachers, and we'll talk about how to make it so that they don't just end up being, you know, a teacher for the days it takes you to read the book and then end up on your bookshelf, how they really end up being teachers in your life um, and voices um, that walk with you through your days so that you can implement what it is that they have taught you through through their words. 
So we'll talk about that as well. So head on over to Instagram. Um, again, it's plansimple.co to really lean into doing this with me this month. I'm super excited. And oh, I know what I was going to say. Because so many people have books, we will be doing some giveaways of their books. Um, and we will be starting. Um, I will be asking who's going to read what because coming up in July, we are hosting a week-long camp, which is going to be so fun. It's going to be all the things that we just never give ourselves permission to learn about. It's going to be focused on motherhood and self-care and entrepreneurship and the pieces of those things that we just don't always have time to lean into just as camp would have us do. And there'll be campy things too, like creativity and art projects and, and movement. It's just going to be so much fun. So I'm really looking forward to camp. And because it's summer and camp, there will be some summer reading Simplicity Parenting being one of those summer readings. And so we'll actually have time to talk through some of these things live um, and, and talk through how we are actually making a plan to implement what it is that we're learning. If any of the teachers that I talk about either on the podcast or on Instagram are appealing to you and you want to learn from them. All right. So excited for this. So excited for this month. So Kim Jong-Pain, let me tell you a little bit about him and how I came into knowing him and how he became such an important teacher in my life. So again, this happened at a time when I had three kids and I was a little bit miserable. You've heard me tell this story around food, but maybe not about parenting. And I just felt like I had checked off all the boxes. I was running a big design company. I had, we owned an apartment. I had married my high school sweetheart. I had these three, we had these three amazing kids who are still amazing. Thank goodness. I love them all. And I just was miserable and I couldn't figure out how I could have come about sort of really manifesting all my wildest dreams and still not be happy. And so that started me looking at my food because one of the most tangible things was that I had gained 85 pounds and wasn't feeling very good in my body. And it also had me looking at me as a parent. And so one Christmas, I think, my aunt had given me this book, Simplicity Parenting, and it had sat on my shelf for a little bit. And then in that spring, which is a similar time to when I decided to change my food, I picked it up. And I would say that I don't know if I could have changed my food without having picked up this book because it really helped me figure out where I was putting all this time that I could be spending on my health on things that I thought were for my kids but actually weren't serving them at all. And it was just an instrumental book in me feeling like I could be the mom that I really wanted to be. It gave me so much space. It gave me so much freedom. And it ended up giving my kids the same. So I literally can't highly recommend this book enough. And it really was the book that was my teacher for a couple years. And then my kids ended up at a Waldorf school, which I'm also very, very grateful for. And Kim often speaks at Waldorf schools. So I then got the privilege of meeting him in person and I got to do some workshops um, with him and with some of his coaches. And then over the years, I've also had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times. He's interviewed me and it's just been an amazing, I've just, it's it, Kim is somebody who I don't talk to that regularly, but his work has so impacted our family and my life that he's definitely one of my most important teachers. And the work he does is so important. And even if you just take one little piece from my conversation with him today, I swear it will change your life. So with no further ado, let's just get him on because you're going to love hearing his voice. You're going to love hearing everything he has to share. And I highly recommend going and grabbing his book or listening to his book. You'll hear that his voice is very calming to listen to. So my guess is that his book is calming to listen to. It's interesting. I did read it because I, I've read it a couple times, but before Audible was a thing. 
I mean, I've read it in the past years, but I have it on my bookshelf. So I've never actually gotten the Audible, but I've listened to many of his videos. I've had the opportunity to talk to him. And yes, I imagine that his audiobook is also very great to listen to. So figure out how to get his content. He also has free downloads. He has a podcast too. And just start learning and see how it really positively impacts your life. But of course, you can start learning today because right now we get to welcome him onto the podcast. Welcome, Kim. I'm so excited to have you here today because I believe your work is like, well, it really was the most important work I did as a parent early on. So I'm so excited for more people to understand what it is that we can do with your work on a daily basis. Oh, that's lovely to, lovely to hear and lovely to see you too, Mia. Oh, thank you. So let's, let's dive in by, sometimes I feel like especially in parenting, actually, <laughs> along with a few other areas of our life, what we think we need to do is sometimes diff like there's sometimes a disconnect between like the problems that we're experiencing and the actions that we need to take. So will you explain a little bit when people find you, when they find you, your book, like what is going on in their head? Like what problems are they experiencing in their life where they're like, oh my gosh, I just need help? Yeah, no, great question. It, it's, um, it's usually a, a combination of just friends, you know, talking amongst friends, but it's, uh, um, but much more, it's uh, an instinctual thing that uh, life is just like, this is too much. This is overwhelming. A kind of a, uh, a, an instinct that something is not right here. And, and that instinct is also the same instinct as parents, goodness, is to provide and protect our children. And yet we see them being subject to a pace of life and stresses that very few of us adults ever had to cope with. And it gives parents this feeling that I need to change something up here. I need to do something but I also need to keep my life on the rails. You know, I, I can't move to Mongolia. You know, actually I was just in Mongolia. Don't <laughs> it's the same, it's really the same. Um, so uh, how do I keep my life on the rails? How do I listen to my instinct, to my, to my gut? And, and where is the resource out there that can do that? Because one of the things a Simplicity Parenting book and movement does is it's a kind of a strange book, really, because it doesn't tell a parent to do a single thing, not one thing. It doesn't tell you to do anything. It just says, suggests ways to do less. And that's much more possible than having to sort of learn a bunch of strategies um, and live inside someone else's parenting philosophy. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, and it's true. It, it, although I have to say, as somebody who was, I feel like one of the tricks, and you give a lot of strategies and tools for it, especially I'm going to hold up both of his books. So I'm hoping it's not backwards to you guys, because it's backwards to me. But anyway, um, one of the things that's interesting is it, it, it does take some work to sort of quiet the outside world, which I think is basically what we have to do to really dive into this work and understand, you mentioned our, in, our intuition. And I think that when I came to this work, it was like I was, that whisper in my head was getting so loud that it was almost like I have to do uh -huh. something right now. And it was really about just like getting closer and closer to what I already knew, but going through your process really helped me. Yeah, that's right. It's it's that's a great way of putting it, Mia. Like a, the whisper got louder and louder. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, way you of can't it. hear it in today's world because there's so much. Like there's so much noise coming in, and so if you're in that state of so much noise, it's it's hard to hear your own instincts as a parent. So the thing is, is that when you're in that state of being feeling really overwhelmed and like no one's listening to me, nothing's working. These days are so hard you know, I didn't think it would be this way. I didn't think I would yell. I didn't think I would do all these things. It feels like it's hard to get to the other side. I think if there's anyone listening who really feels in the thick of that. So will you talk us through 
like, cause I feel like it's a big change, but what are like the little steps? What are the first little steps that one can take that start yielding possibly some big results? Now, you know, a little, a little trajectory shift today, a small, something small, something doable today. Next week, well, it'll be a little bit different, but not much next month, next year. And pretty soon, you find yourself in a whole better position than you otherwise would have been in. So the, the, the power of small, small steps, doable steps, is, is something that just, it's, it's very important. So some of this, you know, it's been interesting over the years because, and we get feedback from all around the world. We have over a thousand simplicity parenting coaches and group leaders all around the world. So it's very cross-cultural, the feedback we get. And it's all pretty similar is in, the, in that people, someone's first step, like me, your first step might be different from mine. <clears throat> and the, when you're looking at these four uh, pathways of simplicity, uh, which is about to become five, by the way, because a whole new second and updated edition of Simplicity Parenting is about to come out. Will and you share quickly what the, what the four well. are? Yeah. Um, the, the first one, and this is one where a lot of people plug in, is decluttering, decluttering a child's environment, books, toys, clothes, um, lighting, smells, and dear mia, food, <laughs> the diet um, as well, huge, hugely important. But these, but it can, it can start off as being relatively small. It can be as simple as clearing out the pantry in the kitchen, clearing out the toys, um, simplify and, and stab, establishing toy libraries, just putting, leaving maybe 20 toys out, but 20 uh, in a box and the rest can go. Like the average American child has uh, over 150 toys each. And that means the 3000 piece Lego set counts as one, right? One. Wow. <laughs> It's an avalanche, right? Our kids are getting buried under this stuff, this consumeristic merchandising. A lot of it's not even toys. A lot of it's just straight up merchandising. So that's where a lot of parents have felt a good deal of control because you can declutter like that, the children's rooms, play spaces, but also it's catchy, right? You start then organizing the pantry and the cupboards and the kitchen and the children get this feeling of spaciousness. The family get this feeling of spaciousness and also of mastery, of control. Like in this very fast paced life that's crept up on me, I can exert my control somewhere. It's, it's no small thing to feel there's some <clears throat> there's something in my home that I can really control. So that's the first one. The second one is is simplify simplifying and and clarifying rhythms, predictability, um, uh, the way bedtime goes, the way the little rituals, all the little things that are done every night before bedtime. Uh, every family has different ones, but all those little rituals other stepping stones to rhythm and um, the way children go to bed, the way they wake up in the morning, the way they go off to school, if they're of school age or kindergarten, it's all done in the same way at the same time, the way they come home, the meal times, the way meals are uh, jointly prepared with children helping, you know, age appropriately, the way it's put on the table, the thank you to the farmers or the blessing, the way it's, it's all, predictable. This is like soul arnica to a child because a child, it's like, it's like it's saying over and over, the world is secure. The world is safe because what they do is they picture what's coming next. And then it happens. And then they picture what's coming next. And then it happens. It's, it's, it's a beautiful way for a child to myelinate the frontal lobes 
uh, the thinking empathy parts of the brain, the cooperative parts of the brain, and not get caught up in this amygdala fight or flight, um, the adrenaline cortisol. Uh, that's the huge piece of feedback from, from uh, our coaches all around the world is that when rhythm is clarified and simplified, children calm on down, everything comes a little easier and they just get into a kind of a slipstream, a flow of the day. And when things go wrong, it's easier to bring them back into that flow. There's somewhere to return to, right? Rather than the day being kind of fragmented and all over the place, somewhere to return to, to come back to base camp, it's pretty nice. I love that. And that's made such an impact actually in our family. Don't you think? So yeah. much. And it, it's so funny, like the thing, the little rhythm things that I did when the kids were little, because now I have some teenagers in the house and it's like the, you know, um, the thorn and the rose, like sometimes they'll even be like, are we going to do that again? You know, I'm like, what 16 year olds would ask for that? But you can tell that it's just like, you know, it's, it's nice to come back to those things, even though we're sort of like long past that phase. So I can see how that really plays out. Yeah. You know, Mia, what's really interesting that you say that is that um, a lot of parents who have done that um, review of the day and preview of the next day, like what was a rose today, what was a thorn today, what will be a thorn tomorrow, something yucky, you know, and uh, they might say, well, it's yucky soup day tomorrow, or, you know, whatever. Um, But, or... What's the rose tomorrow? Now, when kids have done that for years and years and years, it's so interesting how many parents say to us, when our kids are 14, 15, 16, and stuff gets hard, times get hard, friendships get hard, things happen that that are not so easy, they actually ask to do it again. That's one. (laughs) And the other thing about rhythm, the, the, the rose and thorn little little ritual being one, but is that I've been a a family counsellor now for a long time, over 30 years. And so I've seen children whose parents I was working with 30 years ago, um, back when I was visiting homes a lot, I've seen them grow up and have their own kids. So I'm like a grand therapist. (laughs) I love that. Do you know what I mean? And, um, Guess how they raise their kids, simply and with rhythm. And you see them doing these little rose and thorn ceremonies and having rhythms around meals and rhythms. It's beautiful because we hear about generational hard stuff, you know, generational alcoholism, generational abuse, but there's actually generational simplicity. I love that. And I think that's really important to know that we're passing all this on. And the other thing I want to say about rhythm, just to everyone who's here today, because we're doing a lot of planning, which involves some element of time. And I like talking a lot about what belongs in time and what doesn't belong in time, just because a lot of times we need the hours in the day to even schedule in sort of the downtime, which probably you're going to get to next. Um, but the thing I love about the idea of rhythm is it's it's not time-based. So what I really cherished is that there was weeks that, that were hard to do dinner because everybody was working and people were out, but like we could make that same rhythm fit in a smaller space. And then there was days that had more space and it could like, it was almost like an accordion. I think that's how you explain it. It could go in and out. And that's really helpful when we're transitioning or living within this rushed world that there are these things that we can count on and it doesn't have to happen at like 615 every day. Um, it can really fit into our days, how, how it needs to. Well, the other thing about rhythm is that it's almost like, um, when life happens and things knock you out of rhythm, um, if there's a bereavement in the family, if a school closes and children have to stay home, whatever it is, um, if, if in-laws and, and aunts and uncles visit uh, over, <clears throat> you know, um, the holiday season, it knocks everyone out of rhythm a little bit, but it's really easy to get the kids back into it again. It, it, it's, 
it's um, when my father-in-law died and um, my, my own mother died, both within seven days of each other, our kids were really knocked out. You know, like it was hard for them because grandpa lived right next door, just 30 feet away and had done for years. But we kept the rhythms going. <clears throat> Excuse me. We kept those rhythms moving and going. And that's what got us through the days. But they did have to concertina out a little bit because we had all kinds. Of, he was a conductor and a teacher. and we had a, He was a community figure, right? So we had all these people coming through the house. So our rhythms did concertina out a little bit. They had to be a bit more flexible. But when, when the, the, that was the, the immediate effects of that bereavement were now over, we so quickly settled back into regular rhythms again. And the kids got their shape back. And that's the beauty of rhythm, is that when things get a bit, a bit wacko, it can maintain us, number one. And number two is that it gets us right back on track, which is you know, because parenting is hard enough. Uh, and this is one of those things that just make it way easier to do. Yeah, and I think as a parent, knowing that it will be back in track helps you show up during that time in a different way, right? Like, so knowing that you have this thing in place that will, that can catch you on the other side of whatever's going on, then you, it, you, in knowing that you can act differently in the moment of bereavement or stress or whatever's happening. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's helped me. <laughs> um, all right. So what's number three? <clears throat> Oh yeah, well number three is pretty obvious, and um, but it needs saying, right? And that's um, over scheduling kids, is simplifying schedules. And the tough one about schedules is that it's become the new normal to over schedule children. It's like it's like a parental arms race going on at the moment. And on one hand, you know, I, I, you can see this as being very difficult and it's a, a tough thing to deal with these days because it's become so ubiquitous, it's become the new normal, right? If you look around your neighborhood, it's just that's what everyone's doing. They, there are so many clubs and after school activities and play dates. I mean, honestly, play dates. Did you ever play that? No. <laughs> yeah. We're okay-ish, aren't we? All right. Um, <laughs> on a good day. But it's just, it's gone wacko. And the part of the reason is that all, when you look at this stuff, when I speak with parents, because I still do regular, I have, I have a, you know, my own private counseling practice still, I'd never dream of stopping that. So it's current, you know, the information that I, that I have from parents, I uh, haven't just disappeared into a, writer's ivory tower by any means is still very current and what parents say is well the, the ballet is she loves it it's really really good the soccer club i mean he just makes or she makes all her friends there um and the piano lessons you know it's just important that she learns a piano and the and the and the, and if you look at each one of those things you couldn't help but agree i can't help but agree there's so much good stuff out there it's more a question of how to spread it out and and how to make decisions around how much so so simplifying schedules is important for that reason it's also important um, for uh, our kids creativity because and this is the this is the reason I say this is that our kids need decompression time. They need downtime. If they're school age, after school, they probably need at least two or even three points of decompression, just, just relaxing. And in my books, I call this the gift of boredom, just giving children the gift of boredom. Because out of boredom, their bodies relax. When a child's bored, you look at their body, it just gets floppy. And that getting floppy, releasing muscle tension, releases the lactic acid from the muscles. It, it literally releases something within their body. So the gift of boredom is partly uh, physiological. 
but it's also um, emotional is that and social in that when you when we give a child a gift of boredom then they have to self-create they'll hang in there with the boredom for a while teenagers as you know can do spectacularly well with it but um, little kids will hang in there for less time but both groups will then start doing something they'll start writing something drawing something building something <clears throat> excuse me creating something they'll start <clears throat> inwardly motivating <clears throat> and um this motivation this creativity that they have going on inside them is what is needed for the future because i did the math from recent figures and by 2025 we will have passed the tipping point where over 50 percent of all employment in north america will be self-employed part-time project-based now mia you and i are self-employed and a lot of people are um, now and and you know if i asked you if i may what does it take to have your own private practice to be self-employed if you had to find some words for it if i may ask what would they be so it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of our audience today is self-employed as well so it takes a lot of creativity it takes a lot of grit um it takes patience um takes time sometimes <laughs> but patience grit creativity where do these parts of the brain myelinate where are the pathways that are laid down in the brain um which influence so strongly our emotions and social abilities how does that happen it's 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 through play right through play this is well known this is not a this is in no way in dispute these pathways are laid down through play but what is the doorway to play boredom yeah boredom over scheduling children doesn't allow them to enter that into that pathway because clubs sports play all these things are scheduled from the outside now some creative things might happen within them but they're all structured our children are moving rapidly into an unstructured world that's what they're moving into over 32 percent of all employment right now for millennials is self-employed and as i mentioned that's rising to over 50 percent and if you have a very young child um 20 35 we will have actually gone beyond 70 percent so our world is rapidly changing see sometimes people say to me um well simplifying yeah you know we just can't go back in time that's just not the way the world is anymore but actually actually simplifying balancing giving children time for decompression time for self-creativity grit determination to develop all those skills to lay down all those neural pathways that is the world that our children are moving into this structured world where everything's organized for them which is equivalent to the more the employed world when we do that actually my my case is that is going back in time that's simplicity is not going back in time the super structured world is is raising kids for a world that is rapidly fading so by scheduling uh simply and in a balanced way we give our children a very big head start into what's going to be needed so that's the third what's the fourth yeah really <laughs> i'm just curious if we get to know the fifth it's not out yet <laughs> no, really really there'll have to be a drum roll wasn't it? um well the fourth well, the fourth is filtering out adult conversation, adult information. And I thought when I first was embarking on this years ago, before Simplicity Parenting was even a book, when I was just visiting people's homes, 
from wake up time to bedtime. You know, just um, doing that. Uh, I thought filtering out adult information would be tough for most people, particularly when it came to screens, which is the purveyor of adult information for many kids. But actually a lot of parents these days have got to like peak screen. That's like no more. I'm done with this amount of screen invasion into our home. It's really interesting how many just regular parents, we don't have to be cultural creatives or whatever. I'm talking about just really regular parents are questioning this new normal of the, of the screen. I think we, we bought into it heavily uh, back in the, in the 90s, early 2000s. We bought into it big time. But Mia, as you know, Steve Jobs didn't have screens for his own kids, right? He didn't because he wanted them to be self-creative because when you watch a screen, you're watching someone else's creativity. And he didn't want that for his kids. He was a very creative guy. So filtering out adult information involves screens on one hand, and it involves adult conversation on the other. Now, with screens, it's not that I'm anti-screen at all. Look, we're communicating now through this magic. I'm, I'm of an age where I still think this is amazing that we can do this, right? Screens are an amazing tool, a wonderful, beautiful tool that, that we can use, but there's some pretty big decisions to make around it. And my point is, what's the template? Like, how do you make a decision? For years, I, I became like a, like a walking sort of encyclopedia of the damage that screen does neurologically, socially, emotionally. And actually, I, I appreciate all that information. But the way in which I found most of us as parents can make decisions is it's not about the screen. Screen's just a thing. It's about connection which is not a thing, that's a quality, it's a deep quality. And so what I feel is that um, in a sense, a screen should come into a child's life as dessert, long years after they've eaten the main course of deep human connection and attachment with their parents. Screens are dessert. That's 15, 16, 17 years old. It's after the bonding, attachment, and connection is made. Um, that's the nutrition. Otherwise, if we introduce screens too early, too much for children, it's empty calories. And they'll want more and more and more of it because there's nothing much in it. And um, in now this is in the new edition of Simplicity Parenting. I talk, and this is very brief, but I talk about four types of connections that I think screens disrupt. The connection to nature gets disrupt, disrupted by the amount of time kids spend on screens. They just don't interact with nature so much. And so much beautiful connection happens when we connect to the natural world. The second concentric circle in is connection to friends and play. Again, so much of our lives is informed by friends and play and what we learnt as children in play, how to compromise, how to plan, and so on. The third connection in is connection to family. Um, and that's the safe harbour that all children need to come back into, restore, replenish, repair, and then move out into the stormy seas of life again. It's not that we're trying to prevent them from going out into the world. It's just there needs to be a place where they can reprovision, repair, and be safe within our family's harbor walls. And I'm just going to be fully honest. It's super interesting to me that I think sometimes all those activities that we were talking about in the pillar past <laughs> um, can make it easier to 
parent time-wise because it's less work, but that time where you're connecting at home made such a difference in my life, but it took a minute to get there. So I just want to acknowledge that for anyone listening. It's like, but it's so much easier to go to a play date and connect with someone there. And what I found is that whole play date thing was less connective for me. And when we actually were just home and people were complaining, even though it was not as pleasant, um, that's your next book, right? That everyone should read when it's not as pleasant. I, I had to get some tools, but that is what really paid off in the long run. Did you find, if I may ask me, did you find yeah. that likewise with screens, the, the time thing, it's interesting you talked about time and the importance of time to you earlier when you, when you mentioned that. A lot of parents, and I get this, will comment that the screen, the hardest thing is, is screens provide a low, no cost, well, low cost babysitter. There it is. You can turn the screen on and get meals cooked. And the kids can be, um, you know, just, just sort of anesthetized with the screen. Meanwhile, you can get supper together. What do you think about that? What's your thoughts about that? Well, so I'm a rule abider by nature. <laughs> so I read your book early. You know, my kids, I had three kids under five and I, my, I also have the privilege of my kids going to a Waldorf school. And so because I'm a rule abider, I just didn't even get there in the early years, right? So now I'm in the teen years and I'm in a re-navigation place where I'm having to make different boundaries and think about it all over again. The truth is, is that one of the simplest parts for me in the early years of just saying no, it's much easier to just say no because it might be like, cause it's just a firm boundary. It was like nothing we ever questioned. And I find the questioning part in the middle is a lot messier, right? So when there's just a little bit that eases in and you have to like make up your mind and make rules on a regular basis, to me, that's much more complicated. Whereas the just like, this isn't happening was pretty easy. And my oldest didn't get any, like, you know, a phone came into play in high school. So that was right. easy. Because <laughs> there was yeah, no choices to be made. Because when, when parents, uh, when I speak with them, as I do weekly, about tablets and, yep. and, phones and screens, one of the things that I've noticed is that if you give a child a screen um, and whilst you're getting on with stuff, it is a, it's a kind of a, of a cyclical thing that gets set up with, and the, the, um, the time that it buys you becomes less and less and less. And so you've got to provide more and more and more. And it's a really, it's kind of borderline addictive cycle. Well, and on the other side of it, it's not, it's more energy, if that makes sense, right? So like on the other side of it, when you're done cooking and whatnot, dinner's not as connecting, right? Like, so there's some like pathway out that I don't think that we ever take into account. But exactly that. Are you hearing that more and yes. more? That I'm hearing it too. That and I experience if, it. <laughs> yeah. If you plug the kids into a screen, it buys you that time, but less and less it, because there's arguments about it and there's, you know, and then you've got to ramp up the, the volatility of the screen. So now the screen went from television to social networking, from social networking to gaming. You've just, you've basically just gone from a cup of tea to marijuana to cocaine. And I, I say gaming and cocaine, not by accident. It, it's exactly the same part of the brain that that activates gaming and cocaine, identical. Okay. So then you get the kids to the table. It's a big argument to get them there. And they come looking almost like zombies, as one mother put it. Or another one, they, they come really resentful that you have pulled them away from what they're doing on the screen, which is all about high levels of dopamine, re reward, and pleasure. Now, a meal at a table is, is uh, full with the possibility of dopamine, of pleasure, of pleasure being with the family, of pleasure being with food, but it's lower levels of dopamine. 
its appropriate levels of dopamine. So, so by setting up, by setting aside screens, you have a well-regulated and appropriate release of dopamine, and the dopamine is around food. You have screens for children, and what it's doing is directly undercutting a children, a child's nutrition. It's directly undercutting what food, uh, the place food should be in. That's comfort, securing. You have a screen and you have just sentenced yourself to your children not being so appreciative and open-hearted to food because it's not as big a hit of dopamine. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, then, and I also find that, you know, as an adult and as a parent, you know, I, and a, a business owner, like I've become more, you know, dependent on these things. And then I find the more I clean up my stuff, you know, like my closet, my, you know, toys, <laughs> my equivalent of toys, my screen time, the easier it gets because then I can see how I changed because I think all everything you've said about kids applies to us. And, yes. and so if we can't, you know, see how to do it for them, once we start to do it for ourselves, we start, we can start to see that as well. So then just the, the last part of this is, is this filtering out adult conversation and, right. and with all the hard things that are happening in the world right now, um, it's more now than ever, we need to be aware of how much adult information and conversation kids are hearing. Because as a society, we seem to have really just lost track of it. You know, it's just the most astonishing things get said in front of kids. And it's scary for them. They don't know what to do with it. So, um, as you know, I ask four questions uh, before I say anything in front of my kids still to this day. Is it, is it true, true to my family values? I just don't mean tr practically true, but value-wise true, number one. Number two, is it kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? Number three, is, is it necessary? Do I absolutely need to say this in front of my now 18-year-old? Do I, do I need to say that? And number four, which I'm adding in the new book, in the new Simplicity Parenting book, is, is it securing? Mm -hmm. Will this help my child feel more, more or less secure? And unless I can answer yes, it's got to be it's a 100% quiz here. Unless I can answer yes to all four, then defer it. You don't have to let it drop. But just defer it and speak about it later with a friend or a partner, husband, wife. Speak about it later, but defer it. Now, the fifth. <laughs> this is a this is like a like a sneak preview or whatever they say. When, when does the book come out? Soon. Yeah, yeah, it'll come out in um, August or September. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's been very, I, I went through it every page, page by page, because, you know, like the page on screens was still talking about, about blackberries. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and much, much more research all throughout the book. I've refreshed all the research because so much now is starting to come out about children's, particularly the neurologically based research, the brain based research. There's, there's just amazing richness of that now. So I went all through. But um, one of the new, the whole new pathway I've noticed in the last 10 years since the book was released has been the need to clarify family values and leadership, to simplify family values, clarify them, and, and help kids know who is in charge, who is the captain of the ship. See, I'm becoming more and more concerned that as parents, we're confusing being friendly with our children, which is great, with being their friends, being their buddy. Hey, you know, we say, hey, buddy, and they say, yo, dude. And, you know, we're, we're sort of risking what I think of as, as a tendency to become peer parents where we're trying to parent from, from 
albeit an egalitarian space, and it's, it's good. There's a lot of kindness intended in this very, very, like we're buddies, we're friends way of raising kids. But it's like a horizontal attachment. It's like in the horizontal plane, children have got, well, one thread of it uh, is, you know, their brother or sister if they have one. Another thread might be a cousin. Another thread might be if they're a little older, someone in music, in the music world, in the sports world. There's all these threads horizontally that um, go to make up a child's life. If you ever want to know what's going on in a nine-year-old's life, look under their bed. You'll see it. You know, it's all these projects and magazines and books and things they've cut out. And that's all horizontal. But as adults, we need to be vertical. We need to be vertical. And there's the parent, the sports coach, the, the doctor, the teacher. We're meant to provide the vertical because when the vertical and the horizontal cross, that's the formation of character, no less. That's the formation of a child's deep values. And as parents, we can go into, I call it the 45, like we're meant to be vertical and I can find myself like, ooh, down. And then whoop, back I come. And I say, no, 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 we don't have any ice cream. Yes, there is, there's ice cream in the freezer. I saw it. It's like, oh dear, no, down into the 45. Why did I even buy that back up into? And we're always drifting into the 45 zone, but it's crucial that we come back into this because we can't become a part of the child's horizontal. If we do, children don't know who's in charge and they get very, very anxious. And what I've seen with many of the people I speak with um, is that when they get back out of the 45, back into vertical, a lot of the anxieties of their children start to ease because I'm seeing a, a, a huge rising tide of anxiety. I, I was just visiting a school down in Southern California a couple of weeks ago, and in the second grade, um, in, in some of the grades, and this wasn't just one school, there was a number of schools where they have anxiety clubs now where children can come and just learn relaxation, learn how to, how to come back into themselves, have a quiet space in the day. The teachers are teaching them how to, how to relax like this and coping mechanisms. And this is, this is seven, eight, nine-year-olds. Anxiety is um, possibly, uh, in, in all the, the um, troubles and diagnoses that I've seen over the years, this is the one that is rising fast and with the biggest uh, numbers. And so one of the things we can do to really, in a major way, relieve our child's anxiety is, is to let them know that we're in the vertical, that they can be kids and that there is someone securing their base camp. And it's not trying to be a dude and friendly and, and, um, and just because that, the, the primitive brain in every child needs to know who's, who's going to fight off the enemy, who's going to provide my food, who's going to, and it's that. And unless we're clear about it, our child will become anxious, nervous, and hypervigilant. I love that. And, and I think that has, and I think that's changed a lot actually like I can see it changing because I have kids who range right now and I can see it changing over the years uh, in my peer you know parents but what's super what's super interesting to me is when I think of that I think of how much that can also help solve and all the other things you shared like if I'm vertical why would I share news if I'm vertical, why wouldn't I create a rhythm in the afternoon that works for me to make dinner, which is not running around like a crazy person to all these things that are too busy, right? So it's interesting how just being able to be in that way might inform all these other areas. Oh, it's always so great talking to you, Mia. You, you help me uncover new layers. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm super excited. And because Kim has been so... Um, 
really instrumental in so many areas of my life and business and all the things that I have sort of integrated into my family. Um, I, I just think it's so important to read his books, download his starter kits, do all the things and really implement it, like really do it. And do you find that it makes an impact even if you don't have little kids? Because I mean, I started young. More. Actually, since I've raised two teenagers, yep. I find simplifying and balancing is very important when a child little. When they're in their tween years, I think it's more important. And when they're in their teen years, it's hugely important. And now I've got one daughter who's a young adult. And then when they're out there in the world on their own, you know, living on their own independently, then having, having come from the vertical, as you say, Mia, having come from a family that lives via its values, when we have children that venture out into the world, they do so mm, following their own true north and not the magnetic north of popular and sometimes toxic pop culture. So the decisions they make in their 20s are unusually mature because they are following their own true north because they haven't been subjected to this, this, this deluge of marketing messages, of overscheduling. They've had meal times at home with their parents for years and years where they've learned to make real connection these kids growing up this way, I mean, they're just, they're just normal. That's my, that's my highest praise now for a kid. They're just normal. But if, but if someone listening has maybe older kids, so maybe they're already tweens, it's not too late to dive in. Oh, like it might be oh, a little harder. It might be a little more work, but. Totally not. Totally, totally, totally not. There are hundreds of thousands and, and I'm not, I'm just overestimating hundreds of fan, thousands of, of parents around the world who have jumped in when their kids are nine, 12, 15, okay. and said, because you, you, your gut instinct is your instinct. If it's telling you that something really is out of whack, then we're gonna change it. But then if you've got a, if you've got a 12, 13, 14 year old, obviously you're gonna talk a little bit differently about uh, uh, how you approach this but you still do approach it from, from the vertical. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your insight today. We went a little bit longer than I said we would a lot, but um, it's always such a pleasure to talk with you. So thank you. Thanks Mia. Bye-bye now. At the end of every episode, we always share three doable changes so you can take what you've heard and put it into action because I have seen over and over that action is where real change happens. And the cool piece about the small doable changes is that in order to create big changes, we don't have to take big actions. The little things really do add up. And you want to know the coolest part of this strategy? It actually came from our guest today. Kim was the first person who taught me this. I think in his book, he calls them doable steps, but it, perhaps he could even call them doable changes. I don't remember. And it is so effective. So I first read his book, I don't know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and really did implement one little thing at a time and have, they've grown over the years, the rhythms, the simplifying, the decluttering. There's always one little thing that I'm working on and it really has built up to create this amazing life that I am so grateful for and so grateful that I trusted that those little things would someday add up. So I know it's a hard concept because it's so easy to want to try to do all the things at once, but I promise you it is so much more effective to really lean in 100% to one doable change at a time. So let's go through the three from my talk with Kim. Number one, declutter one thing. Decluttering can feel super daunting if you try to tackle your whole house at once. 
So just allow yourself to start with one thing, with one place, with one corner. It could be your child's room. It could be your closet. If that feels like a lot, start with a bookshelf, start with a toy box, start with a drawer. If you have goals around healthy eating, consider decluttering your pantry or your fridge. Again, you don't have to do the whole thing. You could do one shelf at a time. You can even declutter your calendar. We have some resources for you around that. But just pick one thing, one thing that you're going to make time to declutter this week and do that. And I have to say that decluttering can feel like one of those things that really is a burden on your to-do list. And whenever anything feels little and nitpicky, I always recommend getting to why you want to do this, why it's so important. And I would say that Kim's episode, the conversation we just had, which I'm assuming if you're here, you went through that conversation, is the why. It is the why of why we want to declutter because it gives so much to our souls and to our kids' souls. So if that is feeling, if decluttering is feeling like it's pulling you forward, then make that your next doable change. All right, doable change number two, set up a toy library. So let's say you go with doable change number one and declutter the toys. Very often that can feel hard and like we're limiting our kids or we don't want to throw away what grandma has given every single year. Preschools and daycares do this all the time and you can just mimic them. Pick 20 toys to keep out at a time and just put the rest in bins and then have fun rotating periodically. This 100% reduces overwhelm and creates calm by decreasing the clutter. It makes cleanup and storage so much easier and it's amazing how much interest kids can have in the toys they haven't seen in a while. And very often we experience this when we go out and buy more and buy more and buy more. But think about not having to spend that extra money and just being able to let them experience the 20 things. And a couple weeks in, you can switch some out from bins and see what happens. You might be amazed. All right. Doable change number three, create a ritual. If you don't have rituals for various parts of the day, like wake up, getting ready for and leaving for school, coming home, mealtime, bedtime. Pick one and create your rituals. If you do already have a lot of rituals, take a look and see if they can be simplified or strengthened. If you feel chaotic in the morning or at mealtime or at bedtime, it may be a sign that you need a simple ritual to just really ground you in that time of day and ground your kids at the same time, right? Create your ritual and commit to following it and getting it really ingrained in your system. Because when you do that, time literally melts away. And I love the word ritual. I love the word rhythm. And it is very different than routine. And so I encourage you to experiment with that and see what it's like. All right, pick one, just one, one doable change. And in those, there there was a lot. So one thing within that doable change. And I can't wait to hear what that's about, what that's like for you. So because this month we are talking um, with all these amazing people that I'm so honored to have learned from in the past 16 years, 17 years, um, I want to just continue the conversation. So there's a number of ways to do that. Over on Instagram, not only will we be having a discussion about the things that are happening on this podcast, so come find the picture of Kim, come find quotes by him, um, come find a giveaway. We're going to give away one of his books. Um, come look for that over on Instagram. Plus, I'm also going to be sharing little tidbits from other teachers. I have really been in learning mode for the past 15 years, and on this birthday month of mine, I just want to share as much of that as possible with you, and I guess Instagram is the place I've decided to do that here and over on Instagram, so come check that out. We are again at plansimple.co over on Instagram, and there will be a lot of just fun conversation and giveaways and ways to just interact and, and move forward in your own life in this strange time that we're in. 
All right. I will see you next week on the next episode of the Plan Simple podcast, where I get to talk with another teacher, actually another teacher in the, I would say if Kim was my parenting mentor, next week's guest, whose name is Syl, was a mothering mentor, and she is actually a very current mentor um, in real life right now, and I can't wait for you to meet her next week, so stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to share Plan Simple Meals with a friend, and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes. I absolutely love sharing simple solutions to help busy families eat clean and live well. Visit HealthyMomsMeetup.com and come join in on the fun. In our free group, you can chat with me and other health-seeking moms, get new recipes and tips, and never be at a loss in the kitchen again. Come join the fun at HealthyMomsMeetup.com. I cannot wait to meet you there.